from Anchor FM, this is Etch the Edges, where we climb the steep cliffs of the divide, the issues that separate us from the right and the left, and we do the hard work of closing that divide. Find the common ground we know we all share. Hi, I'm B.S. Brown, your host, and together we will etch the edges. America has often been at the crossroads, and yet here we are again. What do we do? And how do we do it? Together, let's get into it. Our purpose? To do the work. To truly peel away at the extremes, for it's the extremes, the extremes that divide us. The tail is wagging the dog. Small groups of people with outsized voices are commanding the stage, and the rest of us? Well, the rest of us suffer for it. It's time for all that to change. Let's lean into discomfort. Let's have the hard conversations, and together, let's etch the edges. Welcome back to Etch the Edges, the election night edition. I'm here with Dennis, and as ever, you know, we're going to chop it up. But I want to be real specific because we want to keep it constrained and you know, time bound because folks have to take a step back, you know, relax, don't get over anxious, overzealous, or even angry. We have to sit back and watch as things unwind and mellow ourselves as the results come in and be accepting of America's democratic process. I want to say that up front. And I know my brother Dennis will not disagree with anything I said along those lines. However, that being said, I'm going to go ahead and lean in and say with a, a sense of confidence that the era of the Cheeto is done. <laughs> Dennis, your thoughts? You know, it, uh, it is 7.06 on election night, and um, I, I guess the initial... The, the initial feelings I have is that it feels like the era is over. This is going to be a four-year blip on the map, and we are going to move on to unity and a president for all of America. Thank you very much. Let's have one of that. Yes, sir. A president for all Here's of America. Here's to that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, as, we, as we, we, ju- we jump into that, the polls are closing. The numbers are going to be coming in for the next few hours, Dennis, right? We, and we know that. But as they come in, and we know people across this country are sitting on pins and needles, you know, um, you and I always take a different tact about things about that because we're pragmatic as well as aspiring critical thinkers. But what's foremost on your mind as we roll from 707 to 708 and this you know, thing starts to ripple across the nation? What are you, what are you feeling? You know, I... Obviously, the big thing is the presidential race, but as a as a Georgia resident and voter, you know what I'm really thinking of is is the Senate race. You know, Georgia is the only state in the union that has two Senate seats up tonight, um, and obviously the the jungle one, the jungle primary one, is going to end up in some sort of a runoff um, yeah. between you know a Republican and a Democrat. But the the Osof Purdue race is 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 the one I'm kind of keeping my eye on. Like, I mean, it, it goes without saying that we're going to keep our eye on the presidential race and how that unfolds. But uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by the, uh, the Senate race. You know, do, do we flip the Senate tonight? And that's heavy duty. That's heavy duty, right? And, you know, when I think about what you just said on that note, Dennis, that takes me back to one of our previous conversations that we know is most critical, right? All politics is local politics when you think about it. And if you right. don't think about it that way, then you're starting to have a breakdown around how this country actually works. Because the things that impact you first and foremost are local and they fall along political lines. And most of those political lines, especially in our state, in Georgia, just rife with ideology. So like you said, in one instance, we got Loeffler, you know, the, um, the wife to the guy that owns the New York Stock the New York Exchange. Stock Exchange. You know, <laughs> heavy duty wealth at play. And you know, you and I both actually love that that piece of business there you know you and i cut it up over you know investments and whatnot for years but um she ain't a good look for a senator and i think we can agree on that um on the other side you got warnock that's going to go ahead and go into a runoff against her and i think we're both on the same page about that there's just no way in hell 
that we don't go to a runoff. That's just not going to happen. Well, um, you got a show till January. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that, that is what it is. We put that on the shelf. Um, I think Warnock's going to stand out, and we'll see how, how that plays out over time. But to your point, with Ossoff and Purdue, that's the most interesting race. It, it is very much, especially the, the way it unfolded at the end with Purdue backing out of the, uh, the last debate, the, the final debate, you know, based on, on his own misgivings, if you will. Um, you know, Can we say he turned chicken shit? He did. I, I think he did. Literally, Purdue chicken shit. I don't. I mean, wow. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's been a. It it's been an interesting couple of weeks, you know. Yeah. As as this has come down to the wire. I mean, what in in the last week we've had um, my old friend Barry in town. We've had Barry uh, came to town. He leaned in hard yeah. and he talked about he the Senate races. But but hey, but he, let me, did, let me he, did. he he actually had both of them there. He had Warnock and Osoff there. So. He sure did. But but let me throw this out there. Let me throw this out there. <laughs> when I think about um, Purdue, you know, and I, I I think I mentioned this to you before. Once upon a time, Purdue had my vote. I voted for him. Okay. You know, because you know, uh, and, and 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 like I said, there are folks who've looked at me askance before. But I've never been one that's been wed to a party because I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think you put your energy and investment in the party when the party gives you what it is you think you need in alignment with what your family requires. And if the platform speaks to that, then you're good. And years ago, when Senator Purdue started running, I found alignment with him and I thought it was a good idea. Now, as the years go by, things change. And of course, when Obama came to the forefront, and most Republicans became apoplectic, right? Like they caught a disease. Of course, I couldn't <laughs> vote for him again. But you know, when you I, I looked at that 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 debate where Ossoff basically called Purdue a criminal, and he kept his mouth shut. You know, yeah, that was bold, wasn't it? And it was and bold as hell. You know, I've seen that commercial a thousand times about. David Perdue was cleared of, by the ethics board of blah, 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 whatever it is. You know, what, what, what was it somebody told me once? Just because something's legal doesn't make it that ethical. And just because something's ethical doesn't make it legal. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, no matter how you, 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 you peel the layers of the onion back, I mean, what he did do seems uh, suspect at best. And I don't care what ethics board may or may not have cleared him. Um, you know, I think Kelly Loeffler was was involved in some of that as well, you know, not surprisingly, based on her interactions with the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the ultimate of the insider, right? Yeah, I mean, but, the uh, ultimate yeah, insider, ultimate. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't know all of the rules. You know, I read a few things, but basically, I, I guess it's not a law, but I guess it's been customary that senators and presidents, you know, obviously, have typically moved all their assets, especially as those related to the stock market into a blind trust and a blind trustee with no input from the senator, the president, whomever it may be, has any input over decision-making. And, and if that's not a law, and again, we're just two guys talking, we're, we don't claim to be experts on this. If that's not a law, I think it should be a law, right? Um, because the reality is, is that when you take a guy like Donald Trump, you take somebody like Kelly Loeffler, you take somebody like David Perdue, um, until we figure out how to get more AOCs and, and more um, middle class, lower middle class, even poor people, whatever it might be, to, to all of to what it is, electable and, and engaged in the political process, as long as it's rich people that are involved in this, um, or, or oligarchs like like Trump may be part of. You know, I, I think these, these these people need need to legally have their assets moved into a blind trust. I mean, we've talked a little bit about what may be coming with Trump in terms of his dealings with foreign countries and investments he has in those countries and debts he has in those countries and oh, how yes. oh, man. His, his, his influence may or may not be. Um, as president, you know, he, he's going to have some influence in, in that realm over maybe getting some debts written off, maybe getting some debts people looking or countries looking away at debts, you know, however that might be. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think uh, as as more people like Trump want to get involved in the political process, I mean, I remember this all started with uh, 
what's his name? Howard Schultz, isn't uh, Starbucks founder? Um, yeah, the Schultz. Yeah, yeah, wanting to get involved and you know things of nature. I mean, he sounded it, it, well meaning. He did. He actually went to uh, me and a coworker of ours went to a book signing thing that he did. But before it was at the Carter Center, and before that, he did kind of a Q and A type session. Yeah. Uh, it was it was real interesting. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so, you know, it, it was interesting to go to, I, you know, got to shake his hand and, you know, chat with him for a brief second. But, um, you know, if, if people like Schultz or, or Bezos or Gates or whomever might be want to get involved in this, I mean, we, we've got to look at the real realities of the influence those individuals have over markets, over economies, over foreign countries, diplomatic relations by, by nature of the companies they run you know and, and and how we manage that so it's a whole nother conversation but it's it is and you know what i think we should cut that one um one day definitely because i mean think about it you know when you're talking about someone on that level and we're not talking about, well i mean the name you just mentioned that's not trump level wealth trump level wealth is you know less than a billion dollars lying about being a billionaire became a billionaire <laughs> after he got into office in debt for four hundred million dollars, and perhaps now becomes clear that he might be in debt. Daddy gave him a loan. Yes, Daddy gave him a four hundred million dollar loan in relative modern dollars to start an empire that he has been able to just maintain. He hasn't grown it. You know, he's grown. Well, I love it. I was just, the same individual. The same individual I went to the to the Schultz meeting with actually listened to our podcast and, and found. The, uh, the the study that I mentioned first off mm-hmm. on, on our very first podcast where I said that had Trump just invested his money in the yeah in, in an index in a stock index fund he'd be wealthier today than through all of the he actually found that article for me and sent it to me so uh, yeah it's 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 interesting and there you have it but but when you talk about when you mention the Schultz right or oh, Lord have mercy a Bezos what are you talking about? <laughs> That guy, right? Guy gets divorced, loses half his fortune, is still the richest man in the world by a mile, right? <laughs> look, look, I'm divorced, and I can tell you that don't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, rare, odd case, hot man on the block. I simply don't think that, like, you know, you could write a story where that becomes because, see, let's be real. You have to be the most altruistic man on the planet. Somehow, still aggregated a trillion dollars and be a benevolent president. You know <laughs> that, that shit doesn't fly. <laughs> I mean, you know, let's I, keep I, real, I, right? Let's just keep it real. Because really, that's the. Not only is that the one we would want to be president, we might want him to be king or emperor, right? Or her, because <laughs> they would have all the wealth. They would love everybody. They would not be wed to ideology. They would always want to do what's right. That human being doesn't exist. So if you take and then make him president, well, you know, he just dumped his wife or his wife dumped him or however it played out. That says a lie. It says a lie. But if Amazon is his baby and America is his job, then if you aren't for the company, but you might be for the country, that might put you in an interesting place. And for him, that will put him in a most interesting place. And that speaks volumes to what you're saying about what a leader should be. And that brings us back to Donald Trump. And at the end of the day, we know good and well, he never belonged in the White House. He shouldn't have been there. That's I agree. Yeah, it, it, uh, it was a power trip. It was uh, a benevolent, um, I'm, I'm gonna be the almighty powerful of this country. And you know, I. It's probably not worth getting into tonight, but a, a good series on this podcast would be what what was it about his message that resonated with people four years ago and, and even up to today? I mean, like, look, I don't think this is good. I don't think this is going to be a landslide, you know, by by any stretch. And it should be. It should, it should be. But, you know, what does it say about America? Like, as I've seen things unfold this week, you know, the the image of the the Trump train running a bus off the, you know, what, like, how how did we get to such, how did we get to such a divisive place? You know, like, I just, and, and, and honestly, what, at what point, at what point does, does this divisiveness, divisiveness cross into the workforce, to our offices, to, 
our churches to, I mean, our neighborhoods, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a concerning thing because there's obviously, I, I feel like the media where, where not necessarily agree with Trump, but where I, I feel like where the media does sensationalize things, I'm not calling them fake news. I'm not saying that they're, they're showing things that aren't real, but where they're motivated by sensationalism is things of like, well, let's show the most extreme on either side, right? Whether it's Fox News showing the most extreme on the left or NBC showing the most extreme on the right. But there's obviously a narrative out there of what is it about his message that resonated with this country? And even as we go into today's election that resonated to the point of people are saying, look, I can't tell you how many people have told me, look, I don't. I don't like how he operates. I don't like his tweets. I don't like how he acts. I don't like how he talks. I don't like the things he says, but I like X, Y, and Z, you know, whatever X, Y, and Z are. And for me, like, I've always said I voted with my pocketbook or I voted with, you know, I, I try, I, I very rarely voted on social issues until the last four to eight years. I always believe social issues work themselves out. And there's still a part of me that believes social issues will work themselves out, right? Like whether it's the the gay marriage argument, whether it's these racial injustices or whatever, I've always felt like those things will take care of themselves. And I think I was wrong on that, you know, at the end of the day. So now I try to holistically vote on- I don't think you're wrong. Not, I don't think I, you're wrong. I, you know, I, what, the reason I say that is, is, is look, I'll go down the, the racial injustice road for, for a minute here. And, and I've, I've watched several, news anchors and reporters, you know, to kind of talk about Floyd and, you know, what's evolved over the course of the last year, last couple of years, you know, whatever the time, whatever timeline you want to choose. And it's basically that the, the racial injustices, the, the police brutality, whatever, you know, whatever we want to talk about as it relates to that has been going on for so long. And I guess the epiphany I had is that is those things haven't worked themselves out, right? Like <laughs> what, what has brought that to the surface is cameras. <laughs> like, as simple as phones, as simple as simple as that sounds, and, and as trite as that sounds, it's really simple. Something as simple as the iPhone has brought these injustices to the surface. Like these things have always gone on. It's always been. But like, here's why I say I, I don't think you're wrong with your first assertion, and I, I think it comes. It, it comes from a place of how you as an individual or within your community would see human beings. And, you know, I'm leaning a little bit on faith here, not religion, faith, because you, you. you take the faith inside of religion. But uh, you know, if you believe that human beings do have an intent for good in the aggregate, that there is a moral center, then you do have to believe that in time, these things can be fixed because as human beings, we're not destined for doom. We're, we're meant for better things. And you find that in many leaders over the, over the course of the civil rights movement, not the king believed himself, he said it, right? I might not get there with you, but we're gonna make it. Now, he didn't necessarily say it was gonna take another 80 years, but you know, that's the, <laughs> the, that, that's the that's thing. So when I say- That's the bitch of it, right? That's, like... the, that's the bitch of it. That's the bitch of it. And that's why I say, I don't think you were wrong. What I think is really important to think about is, because first, just like when we take our diversity training and we're talking about inclusion, we should always assume positive intent. It's just that there may be some aspects of whatever's going on that prevents us from seeing truth, prevents us from understanding perspective. And that creates the conflict. And the conflict could be good if it were positive, but instead it's negative and that divides us. What I find and what I believe is that these things will work themselves out over time. But if you don't step in and act on them, like you're saying, then what you have to ask yourself is how many folks are gonna die along the way. So that's the problem, Derek. That's, the problem. I, 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 that, that's where I've changed, right? So, so here, I, I believe coronavirus will work itself out over time, right? Like what, whether, whether we wear masks, whether a vaccine is, is discovered or, or created or, or whatever it is, coronavirus will eventually work itself out, right? The Black plague work itself out, the Spanish flu work, it, they'll work themselves out. The mm -hmm. question is how many people have to die in order for it to 
work itself out, right? And I kind of look at like some of the racial injustice things the same way, right? Like exactly the same way. Like mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. some point we've got to have dialogue and discussion and 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 change the way we think or it'll work itself out. It may be 80 years from now, yeah. but how many more people will die in the course of working itself out? And so I guess where I've changed my opinion is I used to vote simply on my wallet right (laughs) you know social issues will work themselves out and i do agree with you that they will work themselves out but what does that look like what does working itself out look like like? what's the what's the body count of working itself out and that (laughs) that isn't even and that isn't even like a a, a theoretical thing right i mean you know we're real about that because in two weeks or three weeks or a month Will we see another black man get shot by the cops? We, we, we won't go into the gang on gang crime, all of that, whatever. But we're talking Day about, before, yeah. you know, a, a black man being killed by authority because this dude wouldn't step out of the car. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, or because he was wearing a hoodie running in a white neighborhood, right? Or, or whatever the reason, whatever the reason whatever is. The reason. And, and, and I'm with you. Like to me, I just look at it as what what are we so afraid of, right? Like where I'm in hindsight, where I'm blessed and I'm privileged is I grew up in a much more segregated world than I thought I did, right? Like I grew up in a neighborhood that was very integrated. I grew up in a school system that was pretty, pretty integrated. And so I look back at, at my life, especially in those impactful developmental years, and I do realize there's a large part of me that didn't see color. Yeah. Um, now I was influenced by color and racism, but at the same time, too, I what I was hearing in some instances didn't match what I was seeing in my day-to-day life in school and things of that nature. And then, like I said, I mean, it, I'll, I'll never discount my working in retail and in, in leadership in retail, which afforded me a lot of um, productive things in terms of life monetarily. But um, I got to work with the cross section of races, a cross, se- a cross section of economics. Um, and it just made me realize that we're not all that different, right? They, they, there's a lot more that brings us together that divides us. And I, the stereotypes that maybe I had learned or heard or saw on TV started to be broken down, right? Like, hey, because company X that I'm a leader in only pays 10 or $11 an hour, I've got a lot of single moms or, you know, broken families or whatever it might be who are working two, three jobs, 60, 70, 80 hours a week across two or three companies with no benefits, making $10 an hour, trying to make ends meet. Um, Man, these people are hard workers. (laughs) And and they're not on drugs and they're not lazy and they're not all these things. And at the end of the day, they're no different than me. Like I got two young kids at home that I just want to have a better life. than I've had whatever your litmus test is for that. Um, they want the same things I want, right? Like they want a nice roof over their head. They want good education for their kids. They want quality health care when their kid gets sick and they want to come to work and put in an honest day work for an honest day pay, right? Like they're not drug addicts, they're not lazy, they're not looking for a reason to not do work. And it was, as those walls started to be broken down for me, I started to realize that the narrative that I'd been told most of my life by a certain political party didn't really match up to what I was seeing. (laughs) And, and, And that's where the evolution, you know, kind of, kind of started from. You know what we need to do, Dennis? We need to do a, a show with just you on the decomposition of your breakdown of the, your political perspective. And I need to do one for myself because, you know, I've, I've said before, and I, I, I think I shared this in the original, in the first broadcast on my solo uh, piece, that, you know, and, and I've told you this, you know the story. I, I'm born from Atlanta. I was born a Democrat, literally, because when you're Black in Atlanta, you're a Democrat. <laughs> you know, it pretty much is what it is. Sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, and by the way, when, when you're born in a white family in the South, 
to somebody that works in management and and, and served in the military, you're a Republican. You're a Republican. Right? Like that's how it goes. It's just that's how it goes. The, that, that's the calculus. That's the calculus. <laughs> that's the calculus. But I went to UGA. Um, I, I love to read. I picked up this book by this woman called Ayn Rand and just started reading a whole bunch of other stuff. I started listening to Neil Bortz. No, I not might Neil. be quite surprised about this, but there was some episodes <laughs> years ago. And I mean, way, way back. So I don't want folks to get too mad at me. But sometimes, even though Rush Limbaugh was bombastic, he was a, he was <laughs> to listen to. And yeah, I'm saying that full honesty, full tilt. And I, I used to watch Sean Hannity when it was Hannity and Combs. Hannity and Combs, yeah. Is any fucking more. Glenn Beck. <laughs> Way back. You know, and, and it was the funny, the thing is, that was the right thing to do until someone found a profit motive in demoting Combs and then removing him out. That's basically yeah. you know that that's the truth. That's, that's, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah. But by the time I came out of UGA, I was a staunch mental conservative ideologically, if not necessarily always voting that way. And I believe the poor people stunk on ice, right? You know, because that's just the way it was. You were on the corner looking for food because you didn't know how to get a goddamn job because you were lazy. Right, yeah, yeah, because yeah, you were lazy. You didn't, and, and what I learned in, in, in a similar, in addition that you and I came from different backgrounds and, and came to a, the same conclusion, it, it's the same thing, right? Like, not everybody is a product of the system, right? Like, I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine once, and I said, you know, I said, Half of it is simply knowledge, right? Like my mom, so so here's a little nugget for you. I was the first person in my family to go to college. <clears throat> um, and to, I'm sorry, graduate from college. Gotcha. Um, okay. to, to, to get a degree. Mm -hmm. And my mom, God love her, and she's still alive. So, <laughs> you know, my mom was the epitome of, my kids are going to get out of the class system that I grew up in, right? And so at a very young age, when I was pre-secondary education, my mom said, I'm going to figure out what it takes to get my kids to college. And even if I can't afford it, I'm going to figure out how to afford it or how to get scholarships. And so She spent a lot of effort and time figuring out what are the best schools? How do I get my kids in there? You know, how do I make sure that they're educationally curious? You know, like all of those things and instill those things upon me. And, I, and I've, I've had conversations like where, where I say I'm lucky in an unfortunate way, honestly, is like I've had conversations with people who just didn't have a parent that either took that initiative. And that's probably the wrong word because it wasn't a lack of initiative on their on their mom or dad. It's they didn't know how to do it, right? They didn't like, know. They, they, they came they came from a family of people on welfare, people that you know were products of the system or, or whatever. And so so they just thought this is my lot in life, right? And all the kids I bring into this world, they're gonna have the same lot in life. Like I want them to have more, I want them to go to college, I want them to do these things. But I have no idea on earth how to do it. You start looking at these inner city schools and you've got counselors that are overwhelmed. And I don't want to make it sound like these counselors are lazy. In some cases they are because there's bad teachers everywhere. There's bad counselors everywhere. Bottom line. Um, but even you know, with all the good ones, the work is too big. The work is too big, big and it's too much, right? And so and, and and the whole adage of the, the cream rises to the top or, or whatever it might be, right? So what happens is you, you like I look at my my kids' schools right now, right? And it's driven by wealth, right? We live in a high income earning area, the average high average incomes, high property taxes, got all these advantages in the schools my kids go to that kids in inner city Atlanta don't have, right? And so then you end up with my my kids have ten counselors to service a thousand students. And in inner city Atlanta, they have one counselor to service two thousand students, right? And so by nature because of how the counselor is judged and graded and, and their performance evaluation goes, what they naturally gravitate towards the kids that rise to the top. Right? Like and so that's all they got time for. Yeah. And 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 whereas in affluent suburbs, of course the kid, the cream that rises to the top is gonna have attention paid to them. But also those middle kids are gonna have people available to them. And when you get to the inner cities, those middle level kids don't have that, right? They don't they don't get that advantage. And so what ends up happening is they end up working at Target 
or Dick's Sporting Goods or Walmart for $10 an hour. And you go, God, that, that kid's not dumb. Mm-hmm. That guy's a hard worker. And, but they're like, like bluntly, Derek, they're just clueless to the world around them. Like they don't know how a checking account works. They don't know how to go open a checking account. Let's make it real, then. Let's make it yep. real. Because this is what transitioned me. You know, I, um, I don't know how long I was in the workforce after because I was still in my phase, right? And Ayn Rand was just steadily on my mind. Great book. We love her perspective. Intellectually, it was great stuff. It's just everything should be taken with a grain of salt because yeah. well, people don't stink on ice. They just happen to be poor. And, right. you know, Combs should have never been dismissed from Handy and Combs because perspective is always important, but we know we were chasing a dollar. I went to volunteer in an at-risk community in Atlanta that shall not be named. And I was at the school. And when I did my spiel to the students, it became real clear to me that the problem, especially when the school, when the kids were in fat, they kept calling me Dr. Brown because they <laughs> felt I was a doctor because I big, well and I sounded big words. Big words. <laughs> big words, big words, big words, big words. <laughs> I could, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. I, couldn't I know resist. you could, I know you could, I know you could. Big words for the black man. But man, <laughs> it, it, it blew my mind to, because you know, the realization became plain, Dennis. These kids didn't know what a bootstrap was. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, it's it's my favorite Martin Luther King quote, right? A bootless man can't pull himself up by the bootstraps, and and I think it's and and I think it's a like so. I'll tell you a story, and God bless him if he hears it. On MLK Day, I think two maybe three years ago, back when I was still involved in social media, mm-hmm. that was a quote I put up on MLK Day. Right, yeah. like yeah, everybody has like I have a dream, right. whatever. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, I, I I put that one up. I put a bootless man can't fall so with bootstraps. And there's an individual who I grew up with. I've known him for a long time. He's very successful. He's an executive of a software company today. He puts on there, um, are there really any bootless people in the world in in the United States anymore? God. That was his like little comment under it. But there, the the, the problem with that is. There are a lot of people in the United States that believe there aren't bootless people out there anymore. That is the problem. And that is the problem. That is the problem. Right? Because my piece, my piece really with these kids was they didn't know what a bootstrap was because they understood that there was this concept of a boot, but they didn't know where to find one. They didn't know where to look to go see where they might be. And to be quite honest, if they found it, they wouldn't know how to put it on strap up, strap on, and launch out. I had no conception. These are kids that are in places that were like the old East Lake Meadows. And you got to think about it because you said it yep. already is. The yep. world is right here. And all in my world is my best thing is to go work at Walmart and still get welfare because, you know, there's a donut hole when you work at Walmart, right? You don't get right. live. You still need right. some wick. But Buckhead right. is up the street. Buckhead is up the street. You live over here and you don't, the only way you can get there is to ride the bus and find someone to rob from. There's no conception of Marta. Like living there. Take, take Marta, take Marta. Because Marta's smart. <laughs> <laughs> and we know when certain folks of a lighter complexion see Marta coming, they fear and run. Right. But that is Marta, cause, cause Marta's gonna be filled with people Holding 65 inch TVs. <laughs> 65 inch TVs running fast down the lane. It's insane. But you, but it's, it's, it's just like you said, right? You know, understanding, seeing beyond your world. When I had that conversation with those kids, one of the kids told me, he said, Dr. Brown, how do I get a job in computers? Broke my heart. Computers. I said, computers? Yeah, it does. What the hell are you talking about? Because, you know, and I'm a big wild guy, right? I was like, I didn't, to be quite, I'm, I'm for real, Dennis. I didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. I did it, it just, and then, you know, that's just my mind having, having a brain fart, right? And he made computers, you know, I, I, I get it. But it hurt that he, 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 couldn't, he couldn't even pronounce the damn thing. Well, what's, what, what's the bigger tragedy is, is a, a lot of these kids are conditioned to believe they can't do Absolutely. these things. Absolutely. Right? It's, it, it's not like, even if they understand what they are or what these jobs are or, these, or this path to get there, they're told they can't get there. 
yeah. right? They're, they're, they're conditioned to believe stocking a shelf at Walmart for minimum wage is the best they're going to get out of life and go do that, right? Like, go figure that out. And, you know, that's where I think the world needs more. The United States needs more people that can help steer these young minds into directions that, that make them truly contributors to society because there's lots of them out there that are just wasting away at minimum wage jobs and there's not a good reason that they're wasting away at these jobs let's keep it real Dennis every human being is a billion possibilities period bar none that is the fantastic nature of humanity but you have to be fostered you have to have someone pour something into you and part of that pouring has to be the, the belief that you're worth it. You're worth it. And, you know, when you have a leader who says that if people like you come live next to white women over here. Yeah. I'm going to get your suburbs back. Exactly. And if you think more expansively about it, right, that's such a detrimental message. Because we are all oh, Americans. It's, we're all it's, it's, together. It's it as detrimental as it becomes. Like all, I mean, all he's saying is, "I'm going to keep your suburbs rich and white." That's that's what he's saying, right? Like, <laughs> and it's off the chain because that becomes an acceptable message to some. But it goes back to what you were also saying when I'll put it to you like this, because I was thinking about this when you said it, right? And you know, I, I know you'll agree with me. We might, you and I, you and I might want and feel it's necessary to listen to news like delivered from Walter Cronkite. But Walter Cronkite was boring. He has no production value. It's just a straight fact. Especially in today's world, right. In today's world, he don't make money. But he was good at his job, and he was on point. And he presented things that you could take in and internalize and truthfully act on. Folks need better critical thinking skills because we need to be able to discern not only fact from fact, but fact from opinion and opinion from ideology that keeps us locked in. You know, I just, this this Facebook post of a guy that I've been connected to for years, he was talking about how all the boxes for Trump were checked. That's a black dude. You know, he was like, Trump's on, I mean, all the boxes are checked for me. And he's just, the boxes are wrong. Like energy independence, that was before he got it. <laughs> the 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 lowest job unemployment, that was before he got here. But you can't tell them that. They're like, no, no, just no. He's a racist. No, the black dude's telling me no. You know, I, I tell him you go to a rally. You know, thirty people down are some Klan members. He's just quiet. There's no response to that. It's like, did you say something? And then, you know, and then, then that goes back to what we were talking about before. When you think about conservative, Proud boys, stand, stand down and stand by. Stand down and stand by, <laughs> damn it. It's insane, right? But it's truthful and it's honest. And that's what we have to get critical thinking people to aspire to internalizing. We get that. You're focused on three things most importantly, military, small government, and abortion. And you're not even seeing up all this other stuff. <laughs> and your and he never served in the military. And he never served in the military. He don't give two flying ass about abortion. He's, he's probably funded them before. <laughs> you know, like that's the irony is to, to me. The irony is is that people don't see the populace that he is. Right, like. He's just latching on to a topic that resonates with a base, whether that base is racist, whether that base is pro-life, whatever it is, and just saying, I'm your guy. Like, look, here's where I'll go from left to right a little bit. His whole law and order thing, right? Like, there's a part of me that, like, can sort of understand where people listen to his grandpa-type lecture about, you need to go do the right thing. You need to obey the laws. You need, like, like society depends on law and order, right? Like, right. to an extent, right? Like, society depends on on a set of rules that we all abide by. And we, and we sit within these guardrails, right? 
and so there's a part of me that's that, that sort of understands why when he goes down that path people are like yeah that's my guy but then that but then there's the critical thinking part of it right where it's like or not even the critical thinking part of it but just the reality of like he he provokes a lack of law and order as long as it aligns with his narrative right go run a bus off a road run a bus off the road because because it's in my defense so at its core that's a lack of law and order right like no matter how you look at it right like getting in getting in your car which is a four three four five thousand pound weapon traveling at 70 miles an hour like a killer yeah i mean it's a projectile that can kill people so so under tweet like hey this is cool right like it's 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 not right that doesn't make me or you um the p word right right? like it doesn't make us that right just like hey like look you crossed the line right like don't be driving down the highway at 70 miles an hour running people off the road right like that just that's not cool like it's not cool right it doesn't make me a win it doesn't make me right you know and yet he retweets it he endorses it he he makes it seem like what they did was cool right and so it just it just incites them right like it's like oh well who cares like i'll just keep i'll just keep doing this you know and that's where good with it I might right. hit somebody next time. Right. Yeah. Like, hey, he, he might pay my legal defense fund. <laughs> I know, he's getting people off left and right. And it ain't a racist right. thing because he gets black. It ain't racist. Right. <laughs> you know, I just, I, like, I don't like, I, I feel like we're, and what scares me is, like, I feel like we're watching the degradation of society. Right. Like, so don't unpack that. Because that's too heavy. We want to save that one for another day. That's, that's too heavy. Because, you know, you, you're right. No, no, seriously, you're right. And you kind of alluded to it on a previous episode. We won't say the, the, the titles or names or historical content. But, you know, it's almost because you see it enough on Facebook. We look at people who become accepting of things and we go, holy hell. Like, you know, the, 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 the road had 10 steps on it. We watched you take two. Then you took four, you went five, you're at six. And let's just say step 10 is people in ovens, you know. Right. We, we, we've watched you and you've posted gleefully about, you know, well, Trump told me that I can send your ass back to wherever you came from. Or Trump right. endorses it and I'm going to, yeah, he stands out there in the middle of a crowd and says the media back there, you know, someone needs to punch them in the face. Fake news. I mean, it's it's incredible, and it's horrible, and it cannot. Yeah, he is an existential threat to the moral fiber, to democracy, to the democracy, <laughs> the moral fiber, and the structural democracy of our day-to-day activity. We've got a State Department that's empty. We've got a foreign policy that's vapid and vacuous. And I'm looking on Facebook at people that I've known for years who want to hang on to the conservatism. And they say things like Trump checks all the boxes. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's like I said, Derek, the the underlying component to this is concerning is there are 40 to 45 to 47, 48 percent of people that are going to vote for him, that are going to approve of him. And it's like. It's crazy. It goes right back to what you said. You know, I excuse what he said, because, you know, that's just him talking. But, you know, my wife and I were talking about this uh, just earlier today, Dennis. You know, it might have been, it, no, it was different when he was just a TV star and, you know, a WWE. Yeah, that shit, that shit was funny when he was on The Apprentice. You're fired, right? Like, you know, but people can live the most, die by your words now. Well, people have died by his words now, right? Like, I mean, that's real. <laughs> they have literally died. Literally died. The, over 200,000 people have died because of on some level decisions you know he's, he's made and the things he said and he's still saying them he's still saying them like it's rational 
even now the other one, the the not Dr. Fauci, but the Bixley woman, you know, and yeah. she was uh, you know, she was all well, over. Well, he wants to fire Fauci, like so if he wins tonight, Fauci's fired, right? Like that's that's good as gold at this point. So it's insane. The foremost intellect on this shit in our nation. I mean, he he figured out he 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 didn't cure AIDS, but he figured out how to how to systemically deal with AIDS, right? So it didn't become like, and and then move towards where we are today with coronavirus. And 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 he was don't get don't get me wrong, he was involved in other things, right? Like yep. swine flu and all the other ones too, because of, of because of his role. And now it's just like, well. He don't align with my political views. He says you gotta go. masks. He says you should do. You gotta go, right? Like you gotta get out of here, right? Like he rationalizes it like, well, he was wrong first. Totally dismissing the process of science and discovery and understanding. This is a man that has decades. You know, Derek, that that's one of the more concerning things that's come out of this is is people's willingness to dismiss yeah. science based on. I mean, I'll just I'll just say it like religious beliefs, right? Like, I mean, I feel like that's what it's rooted in, right? Like for a lot of his followers, but we know Trump isn't religious. Oh well, not at all. He ain't religious about his body, but um, he that Bible like a donut. <laughs> he he ain't read a he ain't read a line of scripture. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, yeah. I think you gotta we we've got to understand that if it comes between like two hardbound covers. There might be a challenge in terms of actually reading anything. Well, unless the title of it is Art of the Deal. The Art or, of the Deal. Which or, what, or, right, that, right? Something like that. Or, yeah, unless one. it's a book that has his picture on the cover. And I ain't convinced he's read those either. Let's just be honest. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, just to be real. Just to be real. But hey, brother, look, we cut it up as we usually do. And yeah, it's ever the time gets away from us. But it yeah. is, it is. It's almost eight o'clock, so we're almost we're almost an hour into polls. Yeah, we were supposed and, to do thirty minutes, Dennis. We were supposed to do. I know. We, yeah, we said we keep it thirty. We're fifty. So, we're, all right. It's all good. It's all good. So the deal is, um, for everyone listening, you know, it's election night. You know, we um, stay faithful, stay safe. You know, don't lose your head, and and I'll go ahead and even put it out there, Dennis, and you tell me what you think, but. If we're still in the world of MAGA tomorrow, that doesn't mean the fight stops. Yeah, I mean, it's the process. We got to do what we got to do. You know, I, I firmly am positive in, in my belief that we have left the era of the Cheeto. Now, we've left this era, and it may be that we still have a Senate that refuses to let itself transition into something more holistic and supportive of all Americans, but that's okay. But at the end of the day, even if it's still Trump's era, I've told people, you know, look, especially if you're black, if you're white and you have up a mind that you want a better nation where you believe in health care as a right and things like that, then the fight must continue. That's America's story. If you're black and you're definitely a descendant of the emancipated, look where you came from. Look where you came from and know that your back is sturdy. You got to stand. You got to stand and you can't have any fear and you got to hold the line and you got to try every day to push it just a little bit further. There are people out there that are aligned with you and you just can't give up. You can't give up because at the end of the day, I believe in people and I believe in America and the idea of America to me, despite it's that little bit of evil at the root of its founding. Well, I, I, I texted you the other day. I texted you the other day. Like, I, I don't believe we've reached the best version of what we're going to be yet. Right. At all. Um, and it, and not and it's not even close. Not even. So, not even. Um, we'll keep marching forward, whether it's a MAGA America tomorrow or or whether we're on to different things. And look, Joe Biden has no no easy path ahead of him if, if he were to win either. Right? Like, I mean, he he's got a divisively united or divided country. Yeah. That, that he's got to figure out. Right. Like but at some point, Dennis. More importantly. I think that, especially for folks like you and I, and anyone else who cares to get engaged, we got to line up and hold him accountable like never before, and then clarify for him from our level, with our perspective, that these are the things you need to do, because you ain't got all the answers, you know, and if you want to talk about his record, it speaks to it, but I believe in the man, and I believe he's willing to listen. That, that more than anything over the course of this campaign, it's shown that he's he has an open ear 
even more so than he did when he was Obama's vice president. The shame Look, all, on us if we didn't. All I want my president to do is walk into the room and, and him acknowledge he's not the smartest guy in the room. Bottom line. That's all I want. <laughs> That's all I want. Make, I make, make people, it easy. Make it easy. Make I, it. I put people in place that have more expertise in a given area than I have. And and from there, I make decisions based on your expertise. Because right? when like, we really look at it at the end of the day, really good leaders don't say things like, I'm a stable genius. Right, right. <laughs> bottom line, bottom line. All right, brother. All right, I'm brother. Go ahead and close us out. What's, what, I'm going to give you the last word on this election, on this election night. What say you do? Ultimately, we are we are one America, and we are all on the same team, whether we believe it or not. And so, let's see how tonight plays out, and and we will reevaluate tomorrow morning. I couldn't have said it any better, brother. Peace. Vote is sacred, and it has been fully exercised. One of the things I definitely want to put heavy emphasis on is that. Early voting in this nation was achieved by about 100 million people in a nation of over 330. That's a heavy accomplishment. That's a commitment to the task. I think perhaps we may be on the cusp of more vital change. Change is what we have been about for over two decades since 9-11 and that's just change built on top of more change the United States of America has always been about evolution in an attempt to realize its ideal and here on Edge the Edges we want to do the hard work of closing the ideological divide with positive conflict so we can somehow achieve that it all comes through the hard work of getting familiar with each other getting comfortable, and finding trust. Well, it's election night, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode. So please like and subscribe. Tell your family, tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Etch the Edges. And don't forget to visit our website at EtchTheEdges.com. Check us out, because we're not finished. This election isn't the end. It's just the beginning. Join the movement. Express your commitment to the cause, the cause for a better America, a better world, where we all can stand together at the mountaintop. Do it for America, people. Be good to yourselves and each other. See you next time.